0: I haven't actually introduced myself. If you are new or visiting here, my name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see you. Uh, And for new people and for regulars, I'd appreciate your prayers tonight. Tonight I'm dashing, end of the service. I'm going to a a ball for the uh, homicide victim support. So I'm one of the chaplains for the homicide victim support group in New South Wales. Uh, So just pray for tonight. There'll be about uh, 300 families there, all whom have lost uh, family members to, to murder, to homicide. So Just pray that I have lots of opportunities tonight to to comfort them, uh, to offer a shoulder to cry on, offer some words of wisdom. I'd appreciate your prayers immensely for tonight. I want to start tonight by asking uh, whether you would call yourself an optimist or a pessimist. What kind of personality are you? Are you a sort of a, a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person? So as you look at life, do you, do you see all the, the problems of life? Or are you the kind of person who looks at all the privileges that you have and those privileges outweigh all the problems that you've got? So here's my observation about our Christian lives. If you're like me, uh, you can quickly forget all the benefits that you have in Jesus. And you just get consumed by the battles that you're facing each day. You quickly forget all the benefits and you get consumed by the battles you're facing. Or, you know, sometimes it's just so easy to to forget all the privilege that you have for being a Christian. And you just become consumed with all the problems that you have in life. Let's think about it. Let's think about the benefits that you have if you belong to Jesus tonight. Uh, You have certain forgiveness because Jesus died for you. You have the Spirit of God living in you. God Himself dwelling within you. You have God's daily mercy, God's daily grace, which is more than sufficient for any trial, any battle that you might go through. And yet, like me, perhaps you just get consumed by that daily struggles and daily trials. And you slip into sort of self-pitying and this negativity. And as you face this coming week, all you can see is all the struggles you're facing. And you can quickly forget all the benefits you have from being a Christian. I can appreciate that. I've been a Christian for 21 years. And many times in those 21 years, there've been real trials. Seeing that, seeing the death of somebody that you love dearly. Uh, I got married at 40. Uh, the battles of loneliness in singleness. Uh, trials and temptations of sin, where you just, you just fed up of battling that same sin day after day and week after week, and you think, is it all worth it? Or you watch people slip back into a non-Christian lifestyle and it's tempting to follow them because that way of life seems so attractive. And at those times, what I've needed to do is to just to stop and look again at my Saviour and look again at what it really means to belong to Jesus and stop focusing on me and stop focusing on my problems And stop focusing on my battles and focus on the benefits and the privileges I have of belonging to Jesus. And there's no better chapter than Romans chapter 8. I get to spend just two weeks in Romans chapter 8. I wanted to spend five or six, but I've got two weeks. And tonight we're looking at chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. So let me read it to you. Paul says, therefore... Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of of sin, Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we, we may also share in his glory. Let me pray. Father, we ask that tonight you would speak to each one of us personally. We long to hear you. We long to obey you. We long to meet you tonight in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. You see, in this chapter, Paul is talking to people who are Christians. It's that phrase in chapter 8, verse 1, for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you have this faith union with Christ, if you submitted to him and said, I've come to Jesus, I've come to the cross, I've left all my sins and all my failures and all my shames at Calvary, and I believe he died for me. I'm sheltering under that cross. I'm sheltering from the wrath of God under the cross of Christ. If you are in Christ, let me give you three blissful benefits. Ooh, that's a coffee break. There you go. Bathing in the benefits. Here's the first one. There's no condemnation. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, be- because of everything he said in chapter 6 and chapter 7, if you are with us, chapter 6, you're dead to sin. You're alive to Christ. Sin is not your master. Jesus is your master. Because of that... Because of chapter 7 where uh, you can't do what you want to do. Because of all those things. You know, it's easy to look at God's law and feel a failure. It's easy to look at your sin and feel a failure. But it's not about law keeping. It's about Christ. If you're in Christ, verse 1, there is no condemnation. What does that word condemnation mean? Uh, just think about all those um, the people in jail in Bali whether it's the Barley Nine or whether it's Chappelle Corby or even this 14-year-old boy, he's been found guilty of something. They've been found guilty and they're facing a sentence. Some of them are even facing life imprisonment. Some are even facing death. And you could say they are condemned. Well, if you're in New Zealand, if you're in Christchurch, you could wander around Christchurch and see different colored stickers on different houses. Some will be red, some will be orange, some would be green. And the red sticker means about to be destroyed, unfit for habitation. That's what the word condemnation means. You've been found guilty, you're serving your sentence of punishment, you're about to be destroyed, condemned. And that is what every man, woman, and child has on their forehead like a red sticker saying condemned without Christ no matter how good or how nice, if you're in Christ, what's the promise, what's the benefit of verse 1? There is now no condemnation. Notice that word now. But Paul does not just mean that you will be right with God on that last day. Paul does not just mean on the last day you'll be justified. He's saying today you have no condemnation. Tomorrow you have no condemnation. Next week, no condemnation. Next month, no condemnation. You stand not condemned. Let me just say, you do not need to go living day after day after day as though you are condemned by God. Sin has no power over you. In a word, it means freedom. You're free. Do you remember when Nelson Mandela walked out of prison? What did he call his biography? Long walk to freedom. Did anyone see the news last night with the um, the, people in, the people in Libya? They're free. Now What were they doing? They were waving flags and they were shouting and they were honking cars and you know, this is celebration because they are free. That's what it means not to be condemned. You are free. F.F. Bruce says this, he says, there's no reason for why those who are in Christ Jesus should go on doing penal servitude as though they have never been pardoned and never been liberated from the prison house of sin. If you're in Christ, stop living as though you're not free. Stop living as though you're still condemned. How do you know you're not condemned? Verse 2, because through Christ, when Jesus stepped into the world, the law of the spirit of life. That's another way of saying the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit sets you free. You cannot set yourself free, but Christ sets you free from the law of sin and death. How did he do that? Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, it was weakened by the sinful nature. Because of your sin, you could not keep the law. So God, verse 3, he sent his son. Who was Jesus? Verse 3. He was in the likeness of sinful man. He was fully human, but he was sinless. He was not sinful. And he sent Jesus, verse 3, to be a, a sin offering. What's that all about? If you know your Bibles, you know in Leviticus, a sin offering is an animal that is sacrificed in the place of the guilty person. The blood is shed. Sins are transferred, the animal is slaughtered, that's the sin offering. And here it's telling you and I that Christ is your sin offering. The lamb without blemish, who took on himself the wrath that you deserve. And so, verse 3, God condemns sin in sinful man. In order the righteous requirements of the law, this is a shock, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in not in Christ, but in us. Because if you're in Christ, God sees you as, as fulfilling the law perfectly. If you're in Christ, you've been clothed with the righteousness of his Son. And so the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in you. Because you're in his Son. You're in Christ. And because of that, God sees you as perfect. And because of that, God sees you as sinless. And because of that, there is no grounds for condemnation. I don't know, in in each one of us, there's this this perverse works-based thing where we just feel like we need to do something to earn that forgiveness. You can't do it. Or there's this perverse unwillingness to accept forgiveness. And we wander around looking morbid or self-pitying, thinking that we're not forgiven and we need to do something. The most beautiful promise, just by coming to Christ, God says you're not condemned. Not today, not tomorrow, and certainly not on that last day. Here's a second great privilege. You've got a new mind. Paul calls your mind a spirit-controlled mind. See that in verse 4? The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in in us, you and I, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. There's just two types of people, those who live by the sinful nature and those who live by the Spirit. By by that word living, he just means the the things that preoccupy you, the things that that grab your attention, your ambitions, what energizes you. And you either live for your sinful nature or you live by the Spirit. Uh, And by the sinful nature, he, he doesn't just mean sex, he means anything which is so egocentric and self-centred rather than being focused on God. And he says, whether you like it or not, you're either living by the spirit or, or living by the sinful nature. Now, this is the amazing privilege. Listen very carefully. By nature, we all live for self. And by nature, we all live by the sinful nature. But when we turn to Christ... God takes residence in us, and we have the Spirit, and so we live according to the Spirit. Let's that, in verse 6, the mind controlled by the Spirit. Our minds are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Or, or Again in verse 9, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. It's kind of like God has got a new control over you. And I know that sometimes... It doesn't feel like it, and I know that sometimes you just keep doing the things that you don't want to do, and you feel that utter failure, and you feel like you're living by the sinful nature. But what this verse is telling us, verse nine, is that we're not controlled by our sinful nature; we're controlled by the Spirit of God. It's like there's kind of you know, there's, there's um, remote controlled cars that you can play with, and sometimes there can be absolute chaos because the person at the control has got no coordination at all, and sometimes those remote-controlled cars can go in a perfectly straight line and go on the perfect course that you want them to go on. Because the person with the fingers on the control is totally coordinated and knows what they're doing. And that's what God is saying, that you are controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit of God who lives in you and changes your mind and enables you and equips you and empowers you to live the way that God wants you to live. I know this is offensive, but according to the Bible, the Christian and the non-Christian are fundamentally different. We are radically different. It's not that we're nicer people. It's not that we are better people or more upright people or have better morality. We've been transformed. We are new people with new minds. Look at it with me. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature, those who don't have the spirit of them, They have their minds set on what that nature desires. The unbeliever, the person without the spirit, they have their minds set on what their sinful nature desires. There's no reference to God, their thoughts, their interests, their affections. They're without reference to a creator. That's not a criticism, just what they're like by nature. But, verse 5, those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what God wants, what pleases God. We know what we should be doing. In verse 5, the mind of the sinful man is death, spiritual death, that is hell. But the mind, controlled by the spirit, what are the promises? You have peace with God and you have life. You are alive. You've come to have life to the full. If you're in Christ, you've got life and peace. In verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law and it cannot do so. The unbeliever doesn't like what God says, and they decide what is right and wrong. It's just black and white language. And you've got to understand that if you are in Christ, then you are different. You have a new mind controlled by a new master whose name is the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a benefit that you want to just take hold of? It's like if you get married. If you get married, from the day you get married, you are different whether you like it or not. And there are times when you are tempted to live again as a single person, but that is wrong. And if you've got the Spirit of God living, living in you, your teacher, your guide, then you are different whether you like it or not. And because you do think differently, then you start to live differently. Let's be clear on that. You don't live differently because you think in a different way. It's not change your thinking and then you can teach yourself how to live differently. What you need is a spirit to take up residence in you, to change your thinking, to change your mind, to empower you and equip you to live differently. And it's a very different thing. Unless you've got the spirit of God living in you, you will not live differently and you will not think differently. How does this change us? I'll tell you how it changes us. We stop trying to Christianize the world. We stop trying to change everyone's morality and make them into nicer, better people because they don't need morality. They don't need Christianizing. What they need is the Spirit of God in them. And unless they have got the Spirit of God in them, they will not think with a a godly mind. What people need is the gospel. But if you've got this different mind a spirit-filled mind, you will think differently and you will act differently and you will have a different moral framework and you will fill your mind with different things, things that are lovely and beautiful and pure and right. I'll tell you about a, a guy who I led to Christ in, in London. His name's Anthony. And I, I acknowledge this is a controversial one. His name was Anthony. His, his name is Anthony. <laughs> Anthony is gay. Anthony was living a gay lifestyle. I met him at a party for the BBC. I got chatting to him, invited him to a Simply Christianity course or something like that. Amazingly, he came and he met Jesus. He met Jesus. I, I didn't say to Anthony, change your lifestyle, think differently. And then you can meet Jesus. He met Jesus. He understood he was not condemned. He had the Spirit of God living in him. And because of that, he wanted to strive to change his lifestyle and change what he thought about. He's still battling. He still has gay temptations. He's still struggling. But he's living with the Spirit of God in him. And that changes the way he thinks and it changes the way that he lives. And that's the most blissful benefit, isn't it? Because if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God changing your mind, changing your thinking, and controlling what you do. It's not down to you alone. What am I saying? I'm saying that it's only when people are in Christ, when you have the Spirit of God living in them, that they will change. Here's my third benefit you have a new identity or a new status. This is a big question of life, isn't it? Who, who am I? You ever ask that question? Most of us hit sort of mid-twenties, late-twenties. Think, who am I? What's my identity? Like I say, I'm, I'm the son of, of William and Julie Dale. I'm the, the husband of Rachel Dale. I'm the father to Sam and to Nathaniel. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm a mathematician. I'm a, a wannabe triathlete. I, I'm all those things. But who am I if I'm in Christ? Well, look at it with me. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I've deliberately used the word sons, because the word sons means that you have a, a guaranteed inheritance. You have a, a guaranteed intimacy. There's no insecurity, no feeling of failure or rejection, no fear of God. You are a son of God, a child of God. Verse 15, for you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship. You received it. It was given to you. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that the most beautiful benefit that you are a child of God? If you're in Christ, that is your status. God has adopted you. When Paul was writing this letter in about A.D. 57, uh, to be adopted meant that the father would go out and he would choose the child that he wanted and take him home and treat him as his own. And he would have all the benefits, all the inheritance, all the status of being that that man's child. And it's the same today, isn't it? Think of people like Hugh Jackman, adopted two kids, those two kids, are his children, and they will inherit his fortune. In April next year, I I get to adopt Sam. I will be married for two years. And he'll become my son. He is my son now, but legally he will become my son. It's a beautiful day. And and he will have all the benefits of any other children that Rachel I have. That's what it means to be adopted. You have equal privileges, equal status, equal benefits. I, I had a friend at school who used to say he was adopted. He used to say, uh, "My parents chose me. That's how much they loved me." That's what it means to be adopted, to be a child of God. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. What does that mean? It means you've got an obligation. The obligation is there in verse 12. The obligation or the debt is a better word. But your debt is not to your sinful nature. So stop living your sinful way. If the Spirit of God is in you and you're a child of God, your debt is to live according to, verse 13, according to the Spirit. And you put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's your obligation. To say no to sin and start to live the Spirit's way. It's that daily battle, that daily fight of putting to death the misdeeds of your body. No, 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 because I've got the Spirit of God living in me and I'm fighting and I'm battling and I'm struggling because I'm a child of God. Do you ever feel that battle? When you're facing the battle, when you're tempted, when you're tempted with self-pity or worry or doubt, do you ever stop and say, I'm a child of God? I'm a son of God, and I've got the Spirit of God living in me, and he is stronger than anything in the world. I'm going to fight and put to death the mysteries of the body. That's your obligation, to fight. Uh, When people come to see me, and they're battling with a particular sin, and they're struggling with it, and they're fighting with it, I want to say that that's a really good thing. Good on you. That's a real sign the Spirit of God is at work in you. It's when people come to me and they just can't be bothered anymore. That's when the alarm bells ring. And that's the obligation to to live according to the Spirit. But please remember this amazing, amazing privilege. Here it is, verse 15. You didn't receive a, a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You don't fear God in the same way the unbelievers do. You're not shaking your boots at his wrath because you're not facing condemnation. But, verse 15, you receive the spirit of sonship, of inheritance, of intimacy. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And no, no Jew would ever use the word Father. You can search for the whole of the Old Testament. You won't hear any Jew call God their Father. Almighty God, eternal God. Yes, but not Father. When did that change? Do you Remember when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he say? He said, Father, Father, n- not my will, but your will. And every man, woman, and child who's put their trust in Christ since that day forward has that privilege of calling God their, their Father. It's that intimacy. I'm totally aware there'll be people here tonight who have got a really bad experience with their father. I want to say to you guys, think of God as the father that you long to have. Never let you down. Never put you down. Always there for you. Always knew what was best for you. Cared for you in the most intimate way was there in the times of joy as well as the time of grief. That, that, that's the father that God promises to be to you. And because of Jesus, you have the privilege verse 15 of crying, Abba, Father. You can talk to him as your father. I was standing in church last September. Rachel and I had been married about six months. As we were courting Sam, who's our six-year-old Always called me Paulie. Every day, Paulie, Paulie, Paulie. I was in church one Sunday morning, up the front here after church. He just said the words, "Daddy." I just kept on doing what I was doing. I didn't even didn't even blink. I didn't even know it was him talking to me. And Rachel said, uh, "Paulie's talking to you." And from that day on, he just called me Dad. I want to say, friends, that you don't have to call God your. Almighty Father, Almighty God, or your eternal God, or the the Holy One. That's a right thing to call him, but the most intimate, the most uh, beautiful name you can call him is is your Father. Who knows you, who cares for you, who loves you with an unfailing, uh, never-ending love. It's that intimacy that you can enjoy with him. You know, when you're facing... The trials of life when life sucks and when you're just thinking, what am I going to do here? What do you do? You find a quiet spot and you just sit and you just cry, Father. Father God, thank you that you are in control and thank you that you know me and thank you that you love me and thank you that you know what's best for me and thank you that I don't know what's going to happen, but you do and thank you for that assurance and thank you that no matter what happens, I can be assured of eternal life. Father God, thank you so much that you are, that I'm precious in your sight. Isn't that the most intimate name to call God, your Father? It's not just intimacy. The promise there, of verses 16 and 17, is of inheritance. The Spirit himself testifies that we are God's children, we are God's sons, we are God's daughters. And because of that, verse 17, we are, we are heirs. You notice know, the shock of verse seventeen. You're not just an heir of God. You're not just a, a, a great inheritance of God. But verse seventeen, you are your co-heirs with Christ. He, he's your brother. God's your father. Jesus, is your brother, and your co-heirs with him. So everything that Jesus inherited, one day you will inherit. What did Jesus inherit? The presence of God. Being in that glorious presence of the Holy Eternal God. If, verse 17, we share in His sufferings. Because life will be tough in order that you might share in His glory. I don't know what your natural tendency is. I, I don't know whether you do focus more on your problems rather than your privileges. But I do pray that Romans 8 will just give you the most immense assurance my guess over the next five, ten years there will be people sitting here tonight who will face battles and face trials that you will just think how am I going to get through this Romans 8 you're not condemned you've got the spirit of God living in you controlling your minds and you are a child of God so run to him call on him, Abba, Father, cling to him, and he'll hold on to you. Let me pray. Church, I want to leave you with verse 15. If you're in Christ, you've received the Spirit of Sonship. And by Him you cry, Abba, Father. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your Son and your Spirit. We praise you that because of Jesus we are now not condemned. We're free. We're liberated from that law of sin and death. And we praise you that uh, in Christ Jesus, you've given us your spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us, who controls our minds, who teaches us, who transforms us, who equips us and empowers us to live for you. And we praise you that because of Jesus, we can call you Father. We praise you in Jesus' name.